It's nice to see more people uh, in the room. I hope that's, uh, hope that's encouraging for you as well. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, chatting over coffee at the end. We want to do something uh, a little bit different than we usually do today. We're kind of we're kind of pausing in this uh, series on, on Romans, kind of, sort of, uh, and I mean, you'll hear a little bit about that as we, as we go. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of be in, in Romans 12 using those verses that we looked at last week. If you felt it was strange that uh, Adam read the same verses this week that he read last week, that's not a, a, a mistake. Uh, we're just going to do something a little bit uh, different today. You know, the deepest part of the ocean that we know about is called the Challenger Deep. Did you know that, Adam? Yeah. Uh, It's called the Challenger Deep in the South Pacific, and it's almost 11 kilometers deep. That's pretty deep. That's like from here to almost to Oranmore, pretty much. Uh, It's deeper than Mount Everest is tall. So like if you put Mount Everest in this particular part of the, the ocean, like you still have, uh, you still have uh, two kilometers left before you get to the to the bottom. And in fact, more humans uh, have been to the moon than have been to this part of uh, of the ocean. Only three people have been down uh, that deep before. Two of them did it in 1960. Uh, you can imagine the vessel that they they went down in. It took them five and a half hours to descend uh, to that particular depth. And they only needed a, a simple little bolt to hold the door closed on the capsule because the, the sheer weight of the water at that particular depth is equivalent to a man carrying 50 747 airplanes. That's how heavy, how much pressure is exerted uh, at that particular depth. I mean, the, the slightest, the, the slightest compromise in the structure would have crushed them uh, instantly, uh, instantly. Uh, now imagine that you're in that vessel with them and you're going down and all of a sudden you hear a little crack in the window. Now that happened uh, in this. Now thankfully it was, it was in an interior window. It wasn't a part that it impacted them. But just imagine that you're going down to that depth with that much pressure around you and you hear a little crack. <laughs> probably going to get pretty nervous, aren't you? (laughs) You're thinking, man, this could end bad. Uh, This could end pretty bad. Well, I I think just as I've observed over the past 18 months, I think this is what COVID has been like for a lot of relationships. A lot of relationships through COVID have felt an an immense amount of pressure on them. And and when you feel that kind of pressure, any compromise, any uh, potential fissure or problem becomes even more, uh, even more great, even more big. The COVID lockdowns, they've exposed relational weaknesses uh, in, our, in our lives, I, I, I think. And, you know, many, honestly, many haven't survived. Many relationships haven't survived, and, and many won't survive uh, for long. At least anecdotally, in some articles that I've looked at, Separation and divorce have increased by factors of 10 since 2019, and a lot of that is down to the stress that COVID has put on relationships. Uh, Maybe your relationships with your kids have been strained as a result of being in lockdown with them, right? I mean, 
we're, we're made to be together, but man, being together in a submarine for 18 months, it makes things difficult, doesn't it? Uh, maybe, you know, maybe your relationships with, uh, with good friends have been strained. And, and again, I'm not discounting here the difficulties of singleness that singles have experienced during lockdown, the isolation uh, and the struggle with that. I mean, those have presented strong challenges of their own, and I'm not, uh, I'm not ignorant of that either. Uh, but maybe you had issues, even if you're single, with housemates or with friends or with colleagues uh, at work. And so what I want to do today uh, is to kind of draw a line through what we talked about last week, to draw a line through Romans 12, 1 to 8, and apply it to those relationships. See, Paul has talked about, in Romans 12, 1 to 8, he's been thinking about the local community, the local body of believers, and how grace impacts the relationships we experience here. But I think there's an application as well to the way that grace informs how we relate to one another in those most intimate of relationships, whether it's family, whether it's close friends, or, or whether it's marriage. Uh, you know, if, if relationships in general are like the sun, and, and, and if you don't know, in some places in the world, the sun gives off light and heat, Okay. Maybe not so much here, but in some parts of the world it does. Now, if relationships are like the sun, marriage relationships are like when you took a magnifying glass and you, you, you channeled the energy of the sun and it, it became more focused and more intense. That's what marriage relationships are, are, are like. Uh, they're more focused and more intense than maybe some of those other relationships. So we're going to think about relationships in general, but particularly we're going to think about marriage relationships and how it relates, how those relate to what we saw last week in Romans 12, 1 to 8. If you think about what we talked about last week and the week before, Paul has told us how the, the vertical reality of grace, the grace that God has extended to us, how that changes everything how that grace impacts everything. It changes how we respond to God. Remember verses one and two, by giving him all of who we are, by giving him our everything in response to his undeserved kindness that he's shown us. It changes then last week how we think about ourselves as recipients of grace. It causes us to, to long to show grace to other people people, to people around us. And so today I want us to think about how that applies primarily in the marriage relationship, but then uh, to relationships in general, how that uh, applies. In those most intimate of relationships, how does grace help us to withstand the pressure that is around us so that Listen, we thrive and not just survive in those relationships. Here's the bottom line. Uh, to have good relationships in general, but specifically in marriage, to have good marriage relationships, you and I have got to be able to fight. We've got to be able to fight. Good relationships, especially marriages, are built by good fighters. 
had a friend uh, years ago, one of my mentors, he used to say, you can do three th- one of three things in a marriage relationship. You can try to escape it, you can endure it, or you can engage in it. Those are the, kind of the only three things you can do. And if you want to engage in your marriage or in any other relationship, then you have to be able to fight. Now, I want to tell you what I mean when I say that you have to be able to fight, because you might say, oh, I'm a great fighter. You know, just ask the, the other person. I can fight. I can hold my own. No, that's not what I mean. So let me tell you what I mean when I say great marriages, relationships are built by good fighters. First thing, you've got to fight the urge to worship the wrong God. You've got to fight, to, to, you've got to fight the temptation to worship the wrong God. We always have to ask ourselves, okay, whose kingdom am I interested in building? Is it God's or is it my own? Now, look, I've read some really good books on marriage. I'm just going to, this is just a little advertisement. I'm not getting paid for this, but this is the second best book on marriage I've ever read. It's by a man named Paul Tripp, and it's called What Did You Expect? And uh, it's a fantastic book. Here's one of the things that, here's one of the things that he says in this book about worshiping the wrong God. He says, good marriages are built vertically before they are built horizontally. He says, troubled marriages are repaired vertically before they are repaired horizontally. The tendency in all of us is to worship ourselves, which is an antisocial impulse. It turns us in to ourselves. That's so destructive in marriage, and it's only defeated when it's replaced by willing, active, and consistent worship of God. And here's what he says about his own relationship, and I think this is so powerful. So have a listen to what he says. He says, my problem has never been that I have not loved my wife enough. My problem has always been that I've not loved God enough, and because I haven't loved God enough, I've not loved my wife as I should. Listen, if, if, if your drive is to build your own kingdom in any relationship, but especially marriage, then the temperature of that relationship will be measured by how much or how little the other person is cooperating with you, right? If that's your drive to build your own kingdom, then the temperature in your relationship will be measured by how much or how little your spouse or the other person is willing to help you build your kingdom. And that's a recipe for conflict. That is a recipe for conflict. Listen to James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. What causes quarrels and conflicts among you? It's a great question. Here's what he says. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you wage war. I'm not getting what I want, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight. Now, what you want might be reasonable, and it might be legitimate, but in your mind, someone is blocking that, and that creates conflict. That creates tension because only you can control you, right? You can't control another person. In particular, marriage is ultimately about God. 
It's not about us. If you're married today, understand that you and your spouse are actors on a a cosmic stage illustrating the power of the gospel to all who see. Marriage is a kind of infomercial to the gospel. Uh, You know, I think they have infomercials here. It's been a long time since I watched late night TV here. But have you ever seen that one of those infomercials where someone's trying to sell you a stain remover and they take a shirt and they take a, a bottle of wine or something and they say, pour it all over and they show you, look at this stain. And then they get their little solution and they, they scrub it, scrub it and they pull it out and it's white as snow. That's what marriage is intended to convey to the world around us. The power of the gospel in taking two sinners and creating peace and reconciliation between them. That this is what the gospel is intended, or what marriage is intended to communicate to a watching world. So, so understand that our marriages are not ultimately about us. They are about God. And so we have to fight to keep God at the center and to see our marriage as something that points to his kingdom. Next, we gotta fight to the death. We fight to the death. If you're going to have a good relationship with anyone, especially in a marriage context, you have got to fight to the death, listen, of sin in your life. Fight to the death of sin in your life. Paul Tripp says in his book, and I think it's true, he says, you are your marriage's own worst enemy. In relationships, oftentimes, you are your own worst enemy. And so we wage war against the sin that lives in us. We own our piece of the responsibility, and we pray for grace to deal with it. Now look, I understand that there are exceptions to this. I understand that there are innocent victims of abusers But in most of your conflict, most of the conflict that you experience in any relationship that you have, most of the conflict you experience is in some sense self-imposed. You and I are in some sense partially to blame. And so we've got to own it. And we've got to say, yeah, that's right. And we fight to the death of sin in our lives. We, we fight to find our sufficiency in Christ. This is so important in a relationship. We, we, we fight to find our sufficiency in Christ and not in another person. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord that now at length you have received or revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul had come to the understanding that in whatever he faced, Christ was sufficient. Jesus was enough for him in whatever circumstance he faced. And so in our relationships, we have to fight to find our sufficiency in Christ. 
And one thing I see, maybe you've seen it, uh, especially in couples who are struggling, sometimes parents to kids do this, sometimes in a dating relationship we do this, is what Paul Tripp calls identity amnesia. We look to another person to try to fill up something in us that Christ alone can fill. We look to another person to derive a sense of identity and worth and security that only Christ can fulfill. And so listen, if you were going to have a healthy relationship at any level, especially in a marriage, we've got to come to the place where we find our sufficiency in him. We derive our identity from Christ as those who have received grace from him. No human being, listen, no human being can love you perfectly. Only Christ has loved you completely and perfectly. Only he is sufficient to fill up what is lacking in you. And if you look to someone else, anyone else, you are going to be disappointed. And so we fight to find our sufficiency in Christ and in the gospel. Now, this next one is especially true in marriage. It's true in any relationship. It's especially true in marriage. We've got to fight complacency as we seek to move forward in our relationships. Uh, Woody Allen, the old uh, Hollywood director, he didn't know a lot about marriage. Trust me, he's been married like six times. But he said one thing about marriage that is right. He said marriage, uh, it, marriage is like a shark. If it stops moving forward, it dies. And that's true. That's true. We have to, in our relationships, especially in marriage, we have to fight against complacency. Every relationship has a tendency to kind of get into a rut, uh, to, to settle into a rut. And we have to fight against that. Now, in a marriage, that involves romance. Romance is important, but romance can't be the foundation because, as you might have experienced in your relationship, romance tends to fade over time. You wake up in the morning and your spouse has morning breath, right? Uh, you, you start to discover things about your spouse, and so we have to fight this complacency to slide into a rut. Now, that involves a couple of things. Uh, it involves pulling weeds, and it involves planting seeds, okay? So we, we look for the weeds that tend to grow over time in relationships. Maybe that little comment that gets made and, and, and then never gets addressed, and it's just allowed to kind of hang there in the air and, and fester, we look for those little weeds that tend to pop up in relationships, and when we see them, we go after them. We pull them. We do the work in resolving them. And then we plant seeds. We plant positive seeds of grace uh, in the lives of one another. So we, we, we fight against complacency as we live in, this, in, this, uh, in these relationships. Look, look. If you spend time, any amount of time, with another fallen human being, there's going to be trouble, right? 
There's going to be problems. They're going to annoy you from time to time. Those weeds are going to come. And listen, if you're in a relationship right now, if you're in a marriage relationship right now, and you're experiencing difficulty, please hear me saying that that is not unique to you. Every relationship encounters difficulty. Every marriage faces things that they have to stop and work through. It happens because you have one sinner married to another sinner. You have one sinner in relationship with another sinner. And listen, I don't care how cute your infant is. I don't care how cute your two-year-old is. They're a sinner. And if you spend time with another sinner, there's going to be problems. And so you've got to, we've got to do the work at pulling the weeds. We've got to fight that complacency. Fight that complacency. Next, we've got to fight together. In a relationship involving two people, there has to be a commitment to fighting together. And that's especially true in a marriage that's built on covenant, that's built on the promise that, hey, we can fight together, we can work on this together because we're committed to one another. Uh, And so marriage, uh, as it is this comprehensive union where a man and a woman give themselves totally to one another, there is a unity of purpose that should be involved there. And again, just like we talked about last week in the context of the, the church community, that doesn't mean that you're the same. It doesn't mean that you don't bring different things into the relationship. No, we celebrate the fact that there is a unity in our diversity, that we complement one another in our personalities, in our giftedness. But we are committed and united together uh, in engaging to see the relationship move forward and grow and grow. And and so, you know, we say things uh, in a relationship to one another to communicate that. We, We say, I'm on your team. Mandy and I say that all the time to each other to remind us that, hey, wait a minute, we're in this together. Uh, We're going to get through this together. I'm on your team, all right? I'm on your side. I want to see this thing uh, seen through to the end and resolved. And we may disagree in private, uh, but when we step out together, if there's an issue with the kids, when we step out together, we're a united front, There's a unity of purpose where we're committed to fighting together. And that commitment informs then how we speak with one another and the things that we say to one another. And finally, we have to learn to fight with prayer. We have to understand in relationships, this is a spiritual battle. Your enemy is not the person in front of you. Oftentimes, Your enemy is within you. It's yourself. But your enemy is not the person in front of you. And so we wage war against what Paul calls the hidden powers uh, of sin. He says it uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 6. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And in relationships, especially in a marriage relationships, we fight those spiritual battles with prayer. 
And so we pray, husbands, you pray for your wives. Wives, you pray for your husbands. You pray together uh, that God would, would use your marriage <clears throat> and that he would guide your marriage as you fight, as you fight. So we fight the urge to worship the wrong God. We fight to the death of sin in our lives. We fight to find our sufficiency in Christ. We fight complacency. We fight together we fight with prayer. Now, this leads us to the how. This leads us to the how. The fact is, we must be able to fight if we're going to have good relationships. But here's where this ties into Romans 12. It is grace that enables us to fight. It is God's grace that enables us in the fight. Again, I think Paul Tripp is right when he says that good marriages are built and repaired vertically before they are built and repaired horizontally. But what we see is that the grace of God that is tied to the gospel that we've received, Christ's sufficiency there, it is enough for us. He is sufficient in all things. That that is the source of our hope in our relationships. And so we stand on God's grace. Tripp says, <clears throat> this means that marriage, the world's most long-term and comprehensive relationship, is taking place in the middle of sanctification, the world's most important unfinished process. In other words, it is the grace of God, the mercies of God that Paul has talked about that has saved us and that is transforming us and making us new. But that is taking place as we go through this life, as we are involved in these relationships. And that means parent and child. That means friend and friend. That means husband and wife. You are in relationship with someone in whom God is not finished, in whom God is still doing a work of grace to make them what he's called them to be. And that's true for the other person, but before we're too quick to point that out, we have to remember that's true of us as well. See, it's God's grace that enables us to fight for good relationships. It is God's grace that has done a work in us, and it is grace that is continuing to do a work in us. And the more we recognize that we've received grace, the more grace we are willing to to show one another when we disagree. So remember <clears throat> in Romans 12, Paul has said, by the mercies of God, offer your bodies. He talks about transformation. And then he says uh, in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. It's grace that is transforming us. And then from us, it's grace that flows to those who are around us. So the more we recognize that we've received grace, the more grace we're willing to show one another when we do disagree. And so this idea of grace in a relationship, it's like brake pads on your car. If you don't have brake pads on your car, what happens? It's metal on metal, and it's screeching, and it sparks, and it's terrible. But you got brake pads on there. 
It helps smooth it out and make it nice and neat. And that's what grace does. As it flows through us, those who've received it, flows to that other person. Grace enables us to look at ourselves first and say, you know what, was I wrong here? Is there something that that I did? Is this really a big deal? How would I want to be approached about this if the situation were reversed? Is this a sin that I need to absorb? Please forgive me. See, those all come from grace. Those all come from us recognizing God's grace in us and then allowing that grace to move through us in our relationship. And grace enables us to give ourselves, to, to, to take and to leverage what we have for the sake of someone else and not for our own sake. So again, just think about Philippians chapter two that Adam read. Isn't, that what, isn't this what Paul is calling us to there in Philippians two? Where he says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Just like whom? Just like Jesus. That's what he did. Jesus uh, took who he was, and rather than leveraging it for himself, he gave himself. He gave himself for us. So again, Good relationships, good marriages are built by good fighters, and being a good fighter is enabled by grace as it works in us. So how how do we take steps then to repair or to strengthen the relationships that we have? We turn our attention to God as we watch and work and pray. We turn our attention to God as we watch and work and pray. If if good marriages, if good relationships are fueled by God's grace in us, then we have to continually turn our attention to him. We said it last week. If we're gonna build solid relationships here in the local church where we give ourselves to one another, it begins with us looking at the cross and being reminded of what God has done in us, his undeserved kindness to us. Believing that in everything, his grace is sufficient even when we are weak. That his grace is sufficient because he is sufficient. And we find our all and our everything in him such that he fills us up. Such that there is nothing lacking. He defines who we are. And listen, even if you're here today and you've experienced a a, a failed relationship, His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient. He still, he loves you. And he is transforming you, making you into what he would have you to be. The promise of God and the gospel of grace gives us hope to hang on no matter what happens. The gospel still holds. And the recognition that we have, the recognition of the security that we have in Christ, it then frees us up to extend grace to that other person, to extend grace to the spouse that 
oftentimes may not deserve it. Or to that friend that, that oftentimes may not deserve the grace that we might extend. And it doesn't mean that we don't experience difficulty, but it means that we address the conflict that arises differently. We address it as those who have received grace and desire to give grace. And so as we turn our attention to God, we watch, we work, and we pray. We watch. Paul Tripp says, your marriage may be great, but it's not safe. He says, your marriage, your relationship may be great, but it's not safe. And so we need vigilance, don't we, to watch for those weeds that tend to pop up in relationships. We need vigilance to fight uh, violently to protect and to grow our marriage or our relationships. Now again, who do you fight? Well, there's lots of fighting against your flesh. There's lots of waging war against the sin that lives in us. We can't get complacent. We've got to stay vigilant. And then we work. We work at ministering to the person across from us. If it's in a marriage relationship, we work at ministering to our spouse. If it's a parent and a child, we work at, at ministering, at thinking, how can God's grace flow through me so that I minister grace to this person that is across from me? Convinced of the sufficiency of Christ in me. And then we pray. Because prayer reminds us that I am neither sovereign nor perfect. Prayer reminds me that I am comprehensively needy. That I need God's grace in my life. And when I recognize that, it makes me willing to give that grace. And so I go to the one who offers mercy and grace in my time of need. Listen, a good marriage in particular, good relationships in general, they're not a destination. It's not like going to the south of France where you go to the beach and you kind of kick up and say, I've arrived. I can now relax. I can put my feet up. Uh, I can have a drink, whatever. I'm here. This is great. A good relationship, a good marriage is not a destination. It's an ongoing fight fueled by grace. It's an ongoing fight fueled by grace. And it's worth the fight. And here's why. Because God ministers his presence to us through relationships. We saw that last week. In this local community where we serve one another, God ministers his presence to us through one another as we give ourselves to one another. And in a marriage relationship, it's the same thing. That God ministers his presence to our spouse through us as we give ourselves to our partner. If you're married today, I want you to understand that God has given you a particular ministry that he has given to no other person on earth. 
that you are able to minister to your spouse in a way that they tangibly feel the love of God for them in Christ. Look, Mandy knows more about me maybe than I know about myself. And she still loves me and accepts me for who I am. That's amazing. Now, she doesn't do it perfectly. Nobody does, right? But in doing that, she communicates to me something of the way that God in Christ loves me and accepts me perfectly. And so I get to feel in a tangible way the experience of being known and loved perfectly by Christ. And so again, if you're married today, that is a unique ministry that is only given to you. And listen, maybe your spouse doesn't seem to care at all about ministering to you. But Christ is sufficient. Christ is sufficient. And your identity in him through faith in the gospel is secure. He loves you. And he will always love you perfectly. We've got to learn to fight if we're going to have good relationships. Any relationship, we've got to be willing to fight if it's going to be good. But don't ever forget that our fight is fueled by grace. The grace of God that defines who we are in Christ as those who are perfectly and eternally loved then allows us to show that grace to those around us. There's a lot more that I could say, but I'm not going to. Listen, if you're having difficulty in a relationship, please don't hide. Please don't hide. Our tendency when we encounter difficulty, it, it could be pride, it could be any number of things. Our tendency is to kind of shrink away and fade into the background. There are people here who would love to walk with you, whether it's a difficult relationship with a friend or with a child or with a spouse. And listen, if, you're, have a, if you have a relationship that is broken down, please don't feel like you're damaged goods. God loves you. He is sufficient for you. And listen, if your marriage or your relationship is great and you're encouraged, praise the Lord. But just remember that that doesn't mean it's safe. The enemy wants nothing more than to destroy the image of the gospel, the picture of the gospel that God intends marriage to be. And so let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, just as we think about these things, we recognize that we live in an imperfect, fallen world. We recognize, Father, that whatever relationship we are in, that it is with another sinner, and that we ourselves are sinners. And Father, as we think about that, as we, as we live out the consequences of sin, whether the sin of ourselves or the sin of others, Father, we recognize that the only place that we can stand is in your grace. And so, Father, I pray that whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, 
that we might anchor ourselves to the promise of your love in Christ, that we might anchor ourselves to grace. And Father, that as we do that, that somehow by your Spirit, miraculously, that your grace would flow through us, that you would enable us to do what we need to do, but Father, if we're honest, what we sometimes don't want to do, that you would enable us to be vessels of grace in our relationships. Father, we turn to you because it is true that we are needy in every sense of the word. And so we pray, Father, that you would be at work in us I pray, Father, that as people look at our relationships, that they would see the gospel, that they would see people giving themselves for one another in relationships. And, Father, that you would be pleased, that the Lord Jesus would be magnified, and that you would help us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.